welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Uh, my name is Micah, if we haven't met. I'm one of the pastors here at Awaken. Glad that you're here. Um, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Colossians if you have a Bible. That's where we're going to be. And uh, before I do that, a couple of quick things by way of introduction and announcements. Uh, number one, I want to just um, give you a, a, a report. So in December, we, uh, um, Katie, I feel like I'm really, really big, and I'm going to get bigger because um, I'm pretty excited about this teaching. So um, uh, in December, we had talked about uh, just the importance of our financial life at Awaken and invited you all to give generously in the month of December, at sort of year-end gifts and, and that sort of thing. And uh, I want to just let you know that over $100,000 uh, came in in the month of December from people in this community, um, which is like crazy, incredible. Typically, like thirty to 35000 is kind of our monthly budget and that. So over $65,000 of like year-end giving and extra thank yous and investment in Awaken happened. So um, I say that because we talk about generosity, and that's one of the things that we value and we think should be a part of people who are... Um, where the seeds of the gospel and the good news about Jesus has taken root in the lives of people, generosity should be one of the outcomes of that. And so I want to always be inviting you to that. Um, so just an update on that. I think that's worthy of celebration. Do you not? So that's good stuff. Um, well done. We're, we're starting 2019 well. Um, okay, so we're in Colossians chapter 1. And um, I want you to imagine, if you will, that you've just bought a house and you love the house, it's wonderful, it's beautiful, uh, everything you wanted in the house, it has it, and so you bought it. And um, unfortunately, the landscaping is just ghastly. Anybody have terrible landscaping at their own home right now? Yes, yes, a lot of clo- uh, what's that? Creeping Charlie, man, that stuff's the death of me. Creeping Charlie is everywhere, you guys, in this house. The landscaping is terrible. But lucky for you, you have a friend who's a botanist. I mean, you have some great friends, really, really smart friends. You have a botanist as a friend, and they come to your housewarming party, and they come, and they, you know, the house is wonderful, and they say, sure enough, as a botanist, I would agree with you, your landscaping is awful. It's terrible. There's invasive species everywhere. They're growing all over the place. You can't keep anything under control. And the botanist friend of yours says, you will not believe this, but there is a new seed that's been developed. It's been in research for a long time, but it's now available to the public, and this thing is amazing. You plant this thing, and essentially here's what it does. It just takes root in wherever you plant it, and it, it, sort of, uh, it begins to crowd out the invasive species, and it makes space for all of the things that are like native to where you live, which is wonderful. And then it has this wonderful flower. It flowers in the spring. It's beautiful. Like all of your neighbors will love you. They will want to come to your house because it smells so lovely. And then after that, if that's not good enough, it bears this amazing fruit that like nourishes you. And again, it just makes space for like all of the things that are native to, the, to, to where you live so you can thrive. It's amazing. It's the most amazing seed ever. It's going to be awesome. That was my Donald Trump impression, sorry. It's going to be huge. Um, If there is like an overarching theme to the book of Colossians, um, I want to suggest that it's this, this idea. And Paul gets at it when he writes this book, which is that the seeds of the good news of Jesus have taken root in this little town, Colossae, up 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 the hills and the valley, and like... 
uh, the aroma of Christ and the fruit of the, the seeds of this gospel are like, they're, they're everywhere in Colossae, and Paul hears about it, and he writes this group of people, and he says, like, keep going, keep doing what you're doing. This is exciting. This is what happens when the gospel takes root in a place, like sacrificial love becomes the norm, and it, and it chases out all the invasive species, like greed and hate and, and, and all the things that we do, and it makes room for all the good fruit. Hope and joy and love and peace, self-control, gentleness, kindness, respect. This is what the gospel does when it takes root in a community. So this is why, I would argue, why Paul's writing this whole book to the Colossians. Uh, We're beginning a series this morning uh, called The Hope of Glory. Um, One of the most quoted passages in Paul's letter to the Colossians is this idea that he says, essentially, that Christ is in you, and because of that, there's hope and hope for glory, hope for the goodness that's to come. And that's in you, he says. Christ in you is the hope of glory. So over the next, I don't know, eight, ten weeks or so, as we move towards Lent, by the way, it's the first Sunday of Epiphany, if you didn't know that. Epiphany is the church season where we celebrate the light of God coming into the world. If you were with us on Christmas Eve, we end every Christmas Eve with lights around the room singing Silent Night. Why? Because, well, that's what's happening. So Epiphany... um, I'm not sure why I said that, Um, other than the fact that it is epiphany. Uh, Hope of glory, oh yeah, yeah, oh we're going to Lent, that's right, we're going towards Lent, and that's the next season in the church calendar, and right now we're in epiphany, so until then, until we get to Lent, we're going to be in Colossians. Um, I'm really excited about this this series and and this, um, this study that we're doing for a number of reasons, the first of which is... Um, Paul's encouragement to the church in Colossae is actually like right up the alley. It is very congruent. It's sort of ringing in the same key as one of the things that we talk about all the time at Awaken, which is this metaphor of wells and fences. If you've been at Awaken for a while, you maybe have heard this idea that we're, we're trying not to be bothered by all the things that Christians and people of faith often fight about, and we're just saying, like, can we focus on the one thing that we can all agree on, and that is the fact that we are in Christ. This is the well in the center. And Paul's letter to the Colossians, if you're going to hear me say this, like, ad nauseum, is Christ plus nothing. That's Paul's letter. That's what he's saying to these people who are new believers and they're trying to figure out what does it mean to follow this Jesus. He says, Christ plus nothing. So what he's saying over and over again is like what we say all the time at Awaken. Sort of, uh, I didn't plan that, but as I was reading it and preparing, I'm like, man, that sounds a lot like wells and fences. Like what we're doing is Christ plus nothing. That's Awaken. So I'm excited because of that. I'm excited because what Paul's excited about and why he's writing this letter is it's because of the fruit of the church in Colossae that he hears about them. It's not because of doctrine. It's not because of all the things that they believe to be true that are right. It's not because of their, their statement on their website is like correct, right? It's not because of any of these reasons that we grade each other on how holy one is or another. It's the fruit of their lives that Paul is writing because of. Like what if Awaken was known not for what's on our website or not because of all the programs that we're doing or not because, but because of the fruit of the seeds of the gospel which were bearing, which were like happening in the world that people looked and saw and came in contact with you and were like, wow, Awaken, like what, that, something's happening there. It's the fruit of the seed of the gospel that's taken root in our community. That's why Paul's writing to this church. So I'm, I'm excited about that, and I'm also excited about this. Um, in a couple weeks, we're going to get to ch- verses 15 to 20 in chapter 1, and this is known as the Colossian hymn. 
I would argue that this is one of the most important and underemphasized and or misunderstood Christian theologies, and that is the idea of the cosmic Christ. What I mean by that is there is Jesus, the person. Christ is not his last name. Christ is a title which has to do with the pre-existent, eternal, infinite. John talks about it as the logos. Paul says it's this thing, the Christ, the pre-existent, the eternal, the energy, the flow that animates everything, that holds it all together. He talks about this in, in verse 15 through verses 20. And I think, I, I don't know about you, but that's, for me as a 41, almost 42-year-old Christian pastor, this idea of like, the cosmic Christ, the eternal, separate from but connected to Jesus the person, right? The, the imminent or the, the transcendent eternal Christ becomes imminent and particular in Jesus. But Christ is not his last name. So we're going to explore that, and I'm excited about that. I've never, never taught on that before, but we're going to do it. So you look very excited about that. I'll tell you that right now. Man, oh man. So here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to do a little bit of introduction, a little bit of background into this book and like why, where it's coming from and some of the, the, the historical context. And then I want to look at just the opening, Paul's like first two verses, which if you know Paul, you study Paul at all, if you've read the Bible, he kind of like just opens the entire can in the first section of almost every one of his letters. He gives the whole thing in verses one and two, like the whole story. It's in the introduction. So we're going to look at how Paul takes like something that's ordinary and mundane and makes it just extraordinary and profound. And then if I have time, I'm going to tell you why any of this matters. But I'm not promising we're going to get there. So introduction and background. Here we go. Are you guys ready for this? <laughs> Somebody came up to me a couple weeks ago when I said that we're going to, or maybe it was last week, I said, we're going to study the Bible next week. And they're like, I'm so excited about that. That's going to be Awesome. And they actually, well, no, I'll, I'll just stop there. Filter. <laughs> Introduction and background. Colossians. Um, it's one of three towns that are really closely connected to each other. It's up this river valley in the ancient Near East. Um, actually, throw that first slide up there, if you will. So um, this is zoomed in really far. And if you notice on the left, Ephesus is over here. Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus, like up to two years if we're reading Acts correctly. And if you come into port at Ephesus and you follow the river Lycus up the sort of valley, you come to these three towns, Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae. You might recognize Laodicea. It's one of the churches in Revelation that gets written to. Did you guys know that Revelation almost didn't make it in the Bible? Martin Luther in the 1500s was arguing that it should be taken out that's another sermon. But it's near Laodicea, Colossae is. Um, and if you can zoom out to that next one, um, this is the zoomed out part. So we're basically in the northern Mediterranean Sea, and in specific, that little spot up there is called the Aegean Sea. And this is how Paul would do it. Paul is not a, uh, this is not his first rodeo in terms of like travel. He traveled all over the ancient world, mostly the northern part of the Mediterranean Sea. You can see Corinth, you can see Thessalonica, Philippi, Galatia is up there. These are all churches that he wrote letters to. So he would come into port, he would find a city that was uh, advantageous, strategic, 
I think strategic was one of his strengths finders. And he would come into this city and he would start to sort of like do business there. He would find the influential people. He would find the people of peace, um, people who were interested in God, but maybe not convinced about this Jesus yet. And he would start to tell them about this good news. Did you guys know that the, the story of Jesus was like supposed to be good news for the world? <laughs> when a lot of Christians show up, that's not the case. But it, in, in theory, it should be really good news that God has done something definitive in the person of Jesus and that through his teachings and then his death and then his ultimate resurrection, Paul takes a whole chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 to say if we don't have resurrection, we got nothing. He actually calls it horse. But it should be good news that God is doing this and done this. And so Paul would come into town and he'd say, have you heard the news? Like, You've, have you heard about this guy, Jesus, back in, in Jerusalem? Like, he was, he, he was amazing. He was incredible, amazing teacher. Like, he hung out with the poor and, and the marginalized, and he, and he, like, everybody had a seat at the table, and he healed people, and he told people about a future that was coming, and it was amazing. And then they killed him, but fear not, friends. He was resurrected from the dead. You would not believe this, but he was. And so he would tell this story about Jesus, and people who were, Jewish or Greek or pagan or any number of things began to say yes to this idea about following this way of being human in the world called the Jesus way. In fact, the first Christians were called people of the way, people who followed this way of being human, right? The way Jesus did it. They said, oh, we'll do it that way. And so Paul would come into these towns and then he would send people out from those towns. So Epaphras, we know from Colossians 1.6, was from Colossae. He was an indigenous leader. So Paul found indigenous leaders and sent them back to their towns and Epaphras started the church in Colossae, probably in around 50 AD. Paul writes the letter in about 62 to 66 when he was imprisoned in Rome for the last time. There's arguments about when he actually wrote it, and to be clear, it doesn't matter. He wrote it, and he wrote it from prison. Great. Um, he'd never been to Colossae, though. Paul never visited this little town. It was the most insignificant town he sent a letter to. Why would he write a letter to this group of people? I mentioned it earlier. Because, like, the seed of this good news had been planted in this little town. These were churches, by the way, like houses, three, four, five houses. They called them house churches. Very creative marketing team. <laughs> but they would just gather in a city and they would teach the scriptures and take communion together and baptize their kids and do life together. These, this was the church at, at Colossae. So we're not talking about thousands of people. We're not talking about some giant massive structure. We're just talking about a localized group of people who are trying to figure out what it means to be people of faith in a world they maybe didn't always sync up or maybe even competed with some of these values of this Jesus, the way. It is so different than our life today. Da -da -da, that's a joke. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. I love these letters because they, they're like for us. Paul, if Paul were here, he would be writing to churches saying, like, keep going, do these things, don't do these things, or you might want to think about this and you might want to think about that. Colossians. A group of people trying to figure out how to live as people of faith in the world. Now, why would he write? 
Why would he write to these people? I'm saying arguably because of the fruit that was being born, because like sacrificial love and Christian community was happening, and Paul was like, yes, amen, fan that flame, baby. Others would argue, and, and I don't disagree with them, but Paul often wrote to refute false teachings. So uh, he would write to these letters, Galatians in particular is one, where you get a lot of, Paul is taking, he is taking aim at some competing ideas that run contrary to this way of Jesus. The book of Corinthians is another one. You, he, there's actually someone sleeping with their mother-in-law, and Paul's like, that's out of bounds, man. <laughs> okay, don't do that. So refuting false teachings, and I, and I would agree that there's some of that involved in this, but um, Two, two ideas come up often in the New Testament when we're talking about churches and letters to churches. The first of which is Gnosticism. And I'm going to cover these because I think it's really actually important to think about. Uh, and, and, I, and I hope the payout comes in just a minute. Gnosticism is a, 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 an ancient idea, although it's not that ancient, which essentially says that there is a possession of a superior knowledge or a secret knowledge. Gnosis is the Greek word for knowledge. So Gnosticism is this idea that there is this secret knowledge out there and that some people have it and some people don't. Furthermore, Gnosticism made this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really shrink down a very long and possibly boring conversation for you. You're welcome. It was divided, in, that the world was divided into two parts. First and foremost, the material world. Think Madonna, I'm living in a material world, okay? Gnosticism would say that the world is in two parts, material things, physical things, and then spiritual things. And if you're tracking where I'm going, for Gnostics, that which was physical and material really wasn't that much, it wasn't to be desired, it wasn't pursued. You either either didn't engage it at all, asceticism, right? Or you just engage, like, do whatever you want because it doesn't matter, right? So there was the material world, and then there was the spiritual world. And the spiritual world was of, high, was of great value. It was what was, you were seeking after. It was the knowledge that you were trying to gain. Gnosticism, to be clear, I would argue that like much of modern Christianity and modern Protestant evangelical Christianity is very Gnostic. In that, we differentiate, we bifurcate, we separate material things and spiritual things. And we say, oh, we're, just gonna, we're only here for a little while, but what we're really looking for is, right, there are hymns that actually say this. Um, there are, and, and this is why we have such weird theologies around our bodies and sex and food and material things, because we've said, oh, this is the only thing that's important. The church has fought this as a heresy from its inception, people. The Nicene Creed, one of, if you've ever said this one, the Nicene, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed is taking this idea like in its target and saying Jesus is as much physical and material as he is divine and spiritual. So you cannot separate them both. You can't separate them. And God loves them both. So Gnosticism is one of the things Paul is writing against, and it is a heresy that's alive and well in our churches, which is why I bring it up. It's not something that only happened then. This idea that physical and spiritual things are, well, they're a little poo-poo, we don't really we talk about them, or we're not going to engage in them, but what we're really after is what's coming later. That is so anti-Bible. That's anti-Christian. It's anti Everything for crying out loud. Don't do that. Don't be those people. We got to figure out a way to keep those together. God created the world and called it good. Even your bodies, even your sexuality, even your desires, the things that you long for, the passions in your heart, they're all good. They can be misappropriated, yes, but they're good. We got to start there. Where you start the story matters. 
So we're going to try to bring those back together. One of the things Paul rails against. The other is Judaism, ironically enough. And I think that this is actually what Paul has in, t- in, his, in his targets for the, for the whole book of Colossians. It's a group of people, we know from archaeology and from studies, that like the Jews were dispersed all through the ancient world, including the places that we saw on that map. We know it from, they dig things up and there are synagogues and, and, and uh, uh, the, the, the remnants of, of Jewish worship. If you have a group of people, um, do you guys know, like the path of least resistance? You know what I'm talking about? We as humans, we just go to the, the thing, like the path of least resistance. That's what we're drawn towards. That's what we go towards. So if you grew up in a, in, a, in, a, in a system and you know it, Judaism, and then this new idea comes, which is really a variation of what you've known before, but some major changes, right? And, and you're invited to pursue this. What will come most naturally to you is what you've known your whole lives. And so there were people, and we'll get to this in Colossians, Paul, like in chapter two, he zeroes in on this, these group of people who are saying, you gotta, celebrate, you gotta observe the Sabbath, and you gotta do all these festival things, and you gotta pay attention. These are all like classic Jewish law, Torah. And Paul's saying, listen, it's not that those things are bad inherently, but there is a newfound freedom in Christ that if you wanna eat meat sacrificed to idols, you can. Like it's it, what was once called Sin or, or off or not good. This is the book of Acts. Paul and, or Peter and, and Cornelius and the Roman centurion. I'm getting way far afield, guys. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Paul's essentially saying, you're free. In Christ, you're free. And so there's a new, there, there are boundaries that you had previously which you don't have anymore. And that's a scary thing for, for humans. And so they're trying to figure out how to navigate that. And some people are a little more comfortable with rules and regulations. We had some legalists among them, some conservative fundamentalists. And Paul's like, love you, but put down your, put down your arrows and your, and your bombs and your guns like, and stop hurting people because you're not bound by that anymore. You're free. How do you live in that? That's what I think Paul's really getting at in this letter. That's why he's writing them. He's saying, for those of you who are on this way, this new way of following Jesus... We've got to figure out how to do this together a little bit better, all right? So that's some of the background in, uh, in the book of Colossians. And I want to just, I want to just put, it up, put out there for a second. We look back on the Bible, and we often think that these people had it all together, and that there was a codified, understood, like, Christian theology that Paul is saying, you've got to do it this way. And I want to just suggest the fact that these people were, like, figuring it out as they were going, Right? So when we look back, we don't want to put uh, expectations on the text that, that are unfair. And I think that's an unfair one, where we look back and say, well, oh, clearly, everybody knew what was Christian and what wasn't Christian and what was morally right and what was morally wrong. And Paul's just like, he's just laying down the law because everybody knew it. They're all figuring it out. Like, circumcision? I don't know about that one. The Jews are like, absolutely, I had to do it. And the Gentiles are like, hey, no, you ain't kidding me. That's not in the text. (laughs) Right? And so in Acts 15, we get, well, it seemed good to the Spirit and us that this would be the way forward. Like, just don't do things that are going to really make people who are in the, you know, former Jews really, really upset. You're free, but for the sake of unity, don't do that, right? All over, we're finding that the church is trying to figure it out as they're going along. And I just think that's a really important part to this. That this is, these are people 
wrestling with what it means to be people of faith, to be connected to the one true God, and to live in the world in ways that are life-giving and good. Like, that's what the Bible is, at least the New Testament, I would argue the Old Testament as well, but that's what we've got in this book. That's what's been captured. So to think of it as this sort of codified, well, it's the law, it's the word of the Lord. That's, I don't, don't, that's not, that's not life-giving. It's not helpful in a lot of ways. I'm gonna get to that in a bit more. So that's a little background. First chapter, you're like, are we actually gonna look at this? Yeah, we are. If you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter one, and this is where I'm gonna invite you to stand as we read the word. You won't stand for long because we're gonna do two verses. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, General Electric Power Company. That's how you remember those four guys. That was a $20,000 seminary degree right there for you. Colossians 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. Pray with me. God, as we study, as we turn our hearts and our attention towards this book, and you, would you do something in us? not for the sake of religion or for the sake of our own egos or our own desire to get it right, but because we long to be the people you made us to be, those who are good and who are uh, in relationship with each other and with you and the world around us in ways that are life-giving and whole. So that's what we're after. That's what we want. Do it in us. Do it in me first. Do it in this community, God, for the sake of the world, I pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Two verses, Paul gives the whole story. Um, He takes something ordinary and invests it with something just extraordinary, incredible. Um, In the ancient world, uh, there was a a way by which people would address letters. Can you throw up that first slide there? And it looked like this. You would identify who you were as the sender, then you would talk to the people you were sending the letter to, and then you would give some short little greeting. This is very, very common in the Bible and outside of the Bible. Um, In the book of Daniel, we get a a version of this from Nebuchadnezzar. He basically says, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, this is Daniel 4, by the way, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and people of every language who live on the whole earth. That's a big swath. It's going out to everybody. (laughs) So he's emailing everyone in the company here, friends. (laughs) May you prosper greatly, right? Who's sending it? King Nebuchadnezzar. To who? All the people of the world. What's the message? May you prosper greatly. That's a great letter. I wish I got that every day. Paul follows the same format. He says, I'm Paul, I'm writing to the people in Colossae, grace and peace to you. Seems perfunctory, seems really normal, seems really mundane, and yet Paul takes every opportunity to invest each word. Everything he's doing is now seen through the lens of the resurrected Christ. The good news that God has done something in Jesus for the world He sees everything through this lens, even his introduction. So he doesn't just say, I'm Paul. He says, I'm Paul, an apostle. By the will of God. What's he saying? Paul, an apostle. He says, essentially, here's where the authority for me saying anything is coming from. I'm an apostle. By that, I mean, I'm an ambassador. I'm someone who's sent on behalf of, right? The word apostolos, I don't think I have it in there. I have it in here. It's a Greek word, and it means like ambassador, messenger, envoy. Think like um, the UN, you know, a special envoy from so-and-so or from this place or that. 
To be an apostle, Paul understands, he's being sent by something or someone. So he says, I'm Paul, but I'm, I'm being sent on behalf of something. And any authority I have, it comes from that, not from me. Furthermore, I'm being sent as an apostle by the will of God or by the, the desires, by the wishes, by the, the hopes of this God, which is to say that what I'm doing and what I'm sending to you, what I'm writing to you, what I'm a part of is something bigger than just myself. I'm no longer taking cues from my own agenda or what I desire or what I think, but I'm hoping to reflect and be sent by the desires, the wishes, the hopes of the divine. I mean, that's a big deal, right? That's a huge claim. That's what he's saying. Then he addresses the people to God's holy people in Colossae, brothers, faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. These aren't ordinary or normal people. Paul's not just sending out like you know, mass emails or, or mass mailings to anybody who, he says, no, to the holy, and holy is the Hebrew word kadosh, and it means to be set apart. So he's saying to the church at Awaken, listen, gang, hey, Harold, Harold, everybody, everybody right here, need your eyes. You've been set apart for something. Like, there is a task for which you have been set apart for in the world. Holy. The holy people in Colossae. The ones who have, been, who have said yes to the invitation of the divine to be a part of restoration and reconciliation and redemption to all the things God has made good. I mean, come on, who wants to be set apart for that? Paul says, to the holy people in Colossae, Faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, if you're going to pick a metaphor, Paul picks one that is just loaded. Can I get an amen? Family. <laughs> you just had Christmas. How many of you had great Christmases by show of hands? Okay. And how many of you had awful Christmases by show of hands? Nobody? Oh, a couple in the back. I see you. Hallelujah. How many here from Shelby County? Paul says, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. That somehow, because of this Jesus, we are connected to one another in a way by which the only way you could talk about it or get to it is family, brothers and sisters. What does it mean to be brothers and sisters? We sing a song about brother uh, no, nah, I'm losing it. Um, when I look into the face of my enemy, I see my brother, I see my sister. That somehow, because of this Jesus guy, even our enemies, we're invited to see and experience and relate to as our brother, our sister, as if we're from the same family, but we've just wandered a long ways off from one another from the very beginning. Paul's weaving into his introduction an idea that the Jesus story is getting at, that in Christ, God is trying to weave back together all of the ways in which humanity has been asundered, all of the ways in which humanity has gone apart from one another. So all of the racism, all the bigotry, and all the demeaning words, and all the things that drive us apart, that in Christ, we're God is trying to weave us all back together so that we see one another and we experience each other as brothers and sisters. Whew. To those of you 
the holy people in Colossae, faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. I, Paul, the apostle, by the the agenda, the hopes, the dreams, the desires of the divine, I'm, I'm sending you this message, and the message is really simple, grace and peace. Now, I've talked about this a lot. If you've been here before, forgive me, but I just can't stop. Grace and peace, like there are... There are no more words, no, no, no more two words that, that capture like all that God is doing in Christ, according to Paul, than grace and peace, charis and irene in Greek. Did you guys know that we have a little, little one running, down, running around downstairs named charis, one of the children of our kids, or of our parents? One of the children of our kids. <laughs> it's a lot of love going around here at the Awakened community. Charis and irene. Charis, grace, means like favor. Uh, uh, God's, one, one author says, God's spontaneous, unmerited favor in action. Sovereign, freely bestowed, loving kindness in operation. This is my favorite one. The absolutely free expression of the love of God finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of the divine. I mean, come on, if you wrote that sentence, just call it done. You know, be like, drop the mic, walk away, boom. The absolutely free, it's free, doesn't cost anything. Paul opens with it before he says anything to them. He says, grace is yours. The absolutely free expression of the divine, of God. Finding its only motive, its only energy, its only animating force in the bounty and benevolence of God. This is the kind of God we're talking about. So he says, grace is yours. Grace, grace, grace. Does anybody need grace? Did anybody step in it over the holidays? Did anybody make a mess? Has anybody just completely dropped the ball? Has anybody regretted watching something? Has anyone regretted saying something to your sister-in-law or your mother-in-law? Has anyone regretted a decision that you made at work lately that compromised your integrity that you wish you could take back? Does anyone have a regret in the room? Grace. That's what Paul says, grace. Grace, 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 grace. It's free, it's a gift, and it is yours. Friends, it's on the table for the taking. If you want it, you can have it. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to do something to climb a ladder. You don't have to do anything. It's grace, 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 grace. It's yours. Good news. Good news, if this is true, whatever sting of regret you have in your heart right now, grace. If not, but for the grace of God, there go I. There go you, there go we. If you hear anything today, know that this gospel, this Jesus, This message, the one that we're trying to be faithful to, is a gospel of grace. It's free, unmerited favor. Finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence, the goodness, the abundance of the divine. 
This message being preached at your local church today. Grace. And then, peace. Because when you get grace, it does something to you. It changes you. It like starts to work on things deep, deep inside because you don't deserve what you got. You know what you should get, but you didn't get it. You got grace, you got forgiveness, you got a second chance. And so what happens is it changes us. And when it doesn't change us, we didn't get grace, people. We got something else. We got some kind of religion, some sort of marker system where we grade one another's holiness. No, grace doesn't do that. Grace says you're welcome. Not because you gave me something, but you are welcome here at this table, all of y'all. And when we get it, it does something to us. It changes us. It takes root in our hearts and we become different kinds of people because of grace. We become people of peace. What if the world needed something? And what if what they needed was what Paul begins a, a small letter to a small church with? And it's grace and peace. What if awakened became people of grace and peace in the world? Like, what would that do in your workplace? If you were one who said, you know what? Grace, I know you messed up, and I know you probably regret what you said, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna believe the best about you. Because somebody believes the best about me when I don't deserve it. And you became a person of peace in your family. And as hard as it might be, you worked for it and you were, you were about it and you advocated for it and you went for it and you sacrificed your own self for it. I actually think this kind of living would change the world. And I think Paul thought so too, which is why he says what he says to the Colossians. Paul, an apostle, by the will of God to the faithful brothers and sisters, holy and set apart in this tiny little town, grace and peace. Come on, people! And even if you don't buy the Jesus bit, even if it's all wrapped up in all kinds of things that are, you have all sorts of questions about, I'm not even going to get to the thing I was most excited about today because I'm out of time. But like, even if you don't buy it, do you think that the world would be better if people were people of grace and peace? I think so. And I think if you argue that, you, that it wouldn't be, you're smoking crack, man. So just be about grace be about peace, and let's just see what happens. And if you're committed and convinced of Jesus and this person in this way, then by all means, by faith, say yes. Grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. I, I've been doing this 20 years, and I, I'm less sure about like, how to do this thing well. Maybe I, I'll just save this point three, that's what we're doing next week, because I think it really matters. Like, we're doing a Bible study. That's what we're about to do. And for, like, a lot of people in the room, there is a lot of baggage there. Can I get an amen? I'm less convinced about this as, a, as it was given to me, but I am more convinced about the good news of the gospel of Jesus, and if Jesus was resurrected, it changes everything. So, grace and peace, they're yours. Like, if you want it, the table has been set. So eat and drink. Let it change you. Let it change us.
let's just see where the, spirit of the, the wind of the spirit blows. Does that sound like fun to you? I love a white, like a blank whiteboard. You know, for some people I know that's paralyzing. It'll be okay, we'll be fine. Like, let's go. Let's see where the spirit blows and let's follow it. That's all I have. Pray with me. God, we're here for all kinds of reasons. And I pray that this morning, maybe more than anything else, that every person in this room, every kid below our feet, would know that there is good news. That we are loved, that we belong, that we have been claimed. That someone says, you are mine and I love you and I want to take you in, adopt you, call you my son, my daughter, so you can call one another brother and sister. The road is grace and peace. So Holy Spirit, in the next few moments of silence, before we sing and respond, would you remind us of grace and peace, that it is ours if we want it, that it will change us if we let it, and that it's actually what we all need and are longing for. Holy Spirit, speak. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.